I'm in Elkator, Iowa, a small northeast Iowa town, the county seat of Clayton County. The county abuts the Mississippi River. On the other side is Wisconsin. The Turkey River defines this town. I'm coming up to Mercy One Elkator Hospital. How was the day? How was how's the last 24 hours been? Okay? Gathered outside Mercy One Elkator Medical Center because going inside is restricted to keep the coronavirus under control. Our hospital CEO, Brooke Kensinger, and Dr. Clark Williams, the medical director of Mercy One Elkator Emergency Room and the 25-bed hospital's ambulance service. Also there are Natalie Shea, emergency department manager, Chris Dahlstrom, the EMS manager, Casey Sass, clinical nurse manager, Stacy Embertson, an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and Leal Aspenson, operating room manager and interim chief nursing officer. We're all wearing protective masks. There's medical grade mine cloth. It's mid-April. Here's Brooke Kensinger. When it first kind of came out and we were trying to figure out the PPE and, you know, what we needed to make sure we were wearing to be safe. So I think that was where the most stress was, was just the anticipation and making sure we're doing it the right way. Time has passed since that gathering, but one fear lurking over small rural hospitals like Elkader's 25-bed critical access hospital remained even as we moved into the summer months. Administrators at the hospitals feel they'll never be able to make up for income lost in March, April, and May when an order by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds closed down non-emergency surgeries, clinical visits, and other procedures that produce the lion's share of small rural hospital revenue. Those procedures are back now, but this fact exists. More than half a billion dollars in federal relief the hospitals have received this spring will only cover about half of the billion dollars, that's billion by the way with a B, that the hospital will lose in revenue by the start of July. That dire assessment comes from Kirk Norris, CEO and president of the Iowa Hospital Association. The effect of the modeling that we've done shows that Through next fall, we expect that Iowa hospitals will be down a little more than a billion, as in a B, dollars in in lost revenue. Norris said industry leaders feared at the start of 2020 that 10 to 15 small Iowa hospitals could be in bad enough financial condition that remaining open in the next three to five years would be difficult. Many of the state's hospital administrators already were trying to keep their facilities afloat. Iowa Watch reviewed certified financial data for each Iowa hospital and found that 44 of the state's 118 facilities ended the last fiscal year for which they reported with a negative balance. Most of these hospitals are in small rural regions, but a few are in urban areas. Data Iowa Watch reviewed in an American Hospital Directory database showed 23 Iowa hospitals reporting losses of more than $1 million for their last audited reporting period. Prior to 2008, everybody thought healthcare services were inelastic, that everybody needs healthcare and you can't not need it or stop going to get it. We learned during the Great Recession that was untrue. 
and you see it again with the uh, COVID scare and, and the things that had to be done, like stopping elective surgeries, that healthcare revenues can evaporate pretty quickly as well. And, and they um, don't necessarily come back in the same form that they were previously. You have millions of Americans uninsured and without health insurance. You know, that's going to have an implication on how and whether that business comes back. Some of Iowa's 118 hospitals received advanced Medicare payments in April worth $900 million in an accelerated payment program. But the program requires the hospitals to pay back those funds with future Medicare billings. If the hospitals cannot cover the advance payments that way, they will have to repay the balance, potentially, with interest. And here's a kicker. A hospital that does not have enough Medicare billings to cover the advance payments would have to pay 10.25% interest on the balance owed after a certain amount of time has passed up to a year after receiving funds for critical access hospitals like the small rural hospitals and also inpatient acute care hospitals, cancer hospitals, and children's hospitals. Or another 90 days after the 120-day payback period ends for other health care providers. Ten and a quarter percent interest might seem high to some people. It did to some of the readers after Iowa Watch published a story on this in May. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services is telling hospitals the rate comes from the U.S. Treasury Department and that it cannot waive or change the rate. The American Hospital Association has asked Medicare and Medicaid to waive the rate anyway. Kirk Norris of the Iowa Hospital Association. If the federal government would say, okay... We're not going to make you pay back that that accelerated payment from Medicare or that loan on your Medicare payments. Then we would be approaching, you know, um, breaking even on the money that that we've lost. But going into mid-June, that had not happened. In the southeast Iowa town of Washington, population 7,300, the 22-bed Washington County Hospitals and Clinics deployed a special incident command approach on March 12th to deal with changes in what it would start offering patients. That gave the hospital a clear chain of command to plan, implement, and oversee logistics, finance, and the operations necessary during this large-scale event. That's what the hospital CEO, Todd Patterson, told Iowa Watch. One of the hospital's biggest challenges was that people in town and using the hospital would have so much fear they'd create a difficult working environment, Patterson said. Incident command team members met daily through April 24th before reducing the meetings to twice weekly. The hospital increased its orders for PPEs and established a respiratory triage clinic to do drive-in testing by appointment at its east wing until early May when testing moved to another part of the building. The hospital resumed non-emergency elective surgeries in early May after Governor Reynolds lifted the ban on them. It was outside the respiratory triage clinic where we caught up with Amy Vetter, 
the hospital foundation and marketing director. We're still prepared to be able to meet the need of our community if we were to see the infectivity rate go back up. Were you able to handle the demand? We were, we were. Um, our staffing has been spot on. Fetter said some hospital staff were put on furlough, but the hospital has brought them back. The hospital's foundation, meanwhile, took on a Health Care Heroes Fund Drive to recover some of the hospital's lost revenue. Foundation's already stepped up in certain cases and purchasing like PPE, so providing funding um, to purchase PPE and masks, um, and then we're constantly evaluating what projects or those type of things can we keep on track. The Washington Hospital completed its last fiscal year, which ended June 30, 2019, with a $495,241 deficit, the American Hospital Directory database showed. But Patterson said the audited statement included a large non-cash expense for the hospital's pension plan. He wrote in an email, it's more accurate to say we broke even in FY 2019. In an ideal world, hospitals would have enough money in reserve to handle an emergency-driven dramatic shift in business like the one created by the spread of COVID-19. But Keith Mueller, a Gerhard Hartmann professor and head of health management and policy at the University of Iowa College of Public Health, said most small hospitals don't have a large enough margin to save money for an emergency. Uh, on a temporary basis, which is what we hope for, uh, you have cash reserved, uh, you have lines of credit uh, that people turn to, so if you're losing revenue, uh, dip into your reserves. And it's no different than, say, for example, you look at what the government has to do. Dip into your reserves, use a line of credit, uh, and sort of get through it, if you will. And the larger organizations that have deeper cash reserves and Available lines of credit, uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, again, in the case of the, the small rural hospital, you may not have much of a day's cash on hand as the indicator that, that we use empirically. You may not have much of that. And you may not have an established line of credit. I'm trying to get one when you're going to the lender and you're looking at the, the revenue problem that, we just, that I just described, and you don't know for sure when am I going to pick that back up. Uh, that, that's problematic. Additionally, most of these small hospitals are nonprofit, so the idea of hoarding money instead of spending it on the mission feels as though it runs counter to what you'd expect for a charity, Mueller says. The big question hanging over Iowa's rural health care system during the COVID-19 emergency has been, and will continue to be, can small hospitals operating on a thin margin survive? Mueller says that question would have existed without the pandemic. That's a question independent of the virus. Because as we were talking, that, that existed before uh, January 2020. And there's, no good, there's no clear answer to that question. It's so highly dependent on local circumstances, decisions that are made financial as well as organizational. Uh, you just don't know for sure. Uh, if things continued with no change, uh, the answer is there would be more closure. But there are changes underway. 
you know, hospital systems are growing in terms of hospitals joining systems, and that has an impact. Plus or minus is, is something that we're still watching. Uh, changes in payment policy, changes in uh, how the, the hospital decides what its mix of services are. Lots of decisions that can affect whether or not the hospital is sustainable. But again, the you know, I started with the statement that if there were no changes, then yes, there would be more hospital closures given the financial trajectories that they're on. Thank you for listening. You can read more on this story and the rest of our coverage of COVID-19 at iowawatch.org. This story is part of a collaboration of Institute for Nonprofit News members examining the effect of COVID-19 on rural health care. Partners are Iowa Watch, Carolina Public Press, SideFX Media, Wisconsin Watch, and Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Iowa Watch reporting in this project, including this podcast, was made possible by support from the Solutions Journalism Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. I am Lyle Muller, reporting for Iowa Watch.